0: despised as it were Okay.
1: Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? People didn't get it. Now he says in the end of 52, for what had not been told them they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand, but in reality, that's a that's a reference to seeing and hearing. And then they, he reverses it, it's hearing and seeing. But who has believed our message? Who's who's, who's received that? And who, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? People didn't really understand, they didn't really see. What, what all this was. Why not? Why wouldn't people get this? Why wouldn't people come to, to perceive who he was? Well, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. Uh, he, he grew up in a place where you would not expect uh, the Messiah to grow up. A, a great man, a great king, a great teacher. He grew up and blossomed in in an Israel that four invading empires had turned into a spiritual wasteland. You just wouldn't expect any great one to to grow up there in Israel itself, much less in Nazareth. So he doesn't come from a place where you'd expect somebody like that to come from. He has no stately form of majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. There was really nothing in Jesus that, that impressed. Now, again, I don't think he's thinking primarily about physical appearance. I don't think he's just saying that, well, I mean, you know, his face didn't really, you know, was really this beautiful and stunning or something like that. I think he's saying that, you know, if he didn't have any of the surroundings, any of the pomp, any of the splendor any of the wealth and power and worldly wisdom that, that normally are signs of somebody's importance. There was nothing about him that was particularly attractive, that was particularly impressive. Uh, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know he was he was he was uh, people were rejected the people uh, despised him. They looked down on him. You know, he, he was he was grief stricken. He was like one from whom men hide their face. You know, have you ever seen somebody who's so hideous you just take a look at them? Uh, I don't mean that uh, in a humorous way. Sometimes people are disfigured by accidents or by disease or whatever. And actually, I mean, it's kind of hard to look at. It. I mean, you know, it's not that you, you look down on them in some sort of a, a mean way necessarily, although some people probably do, but but it just it just almost makes you pain to see it. And you just kind of would try to shun them or avoid it. Can you think of how left might be looked at? Or even, I mean, it's changing a little bit, but a few years ago, I mean, what if you knew somebody had AIDS? I mean, you know, well, I mean, a few years ago, what it probably took to get the AIDS in 99% of the cases was looked down on. And then it was, you were scared of it. You didn't want to have any contact. And so, you know, he was somebody that people hid their face from. They avoided him with disgust, like he were a leper, like, like he had some repulsive sickness that, that everybody was trying to avoid. You know, I mean, here is, you know, a people who wanted a kid and God gave them a carpenter. You know. He just didn't seem at all like a fit for his role. His most notable characteristics, sadness. It's just, you know, nobody really saw in him. Practically nobody saw in him who he really was. Now tell me we would be different. You know, we think, well, well, but if Jesus were to come today, we would have known him. We would have recognized him. We would have honored him. We would have embraced him. They're yeah, right. How can men who are so impressed by money and fame and carnal power ever recognize that he was God in the flesh? You know, people who are occupied with so many trivial things about this life—would we have really been attracted to the beauty of His holiness and His love? and a dedication to the Father. Those have been things that really impressed us. Are they things that impress us? now? Are we impressed with humility? Are we impressed with simplicity? Are we impressed with people who are dedicated to the work of God? You know, we're impressed, even if we're adults, by coolness. You know, you'd be, be cool. You would carry yourself well. You need to, to be up on all the latest gadgetry and all the latest sophisticated kinds of stuff. You need to be seen with the right people and go out with the right people and, and do the right things. That's what not wear impressed dress, You I need to wear the right clothes. And Jesus wouldn't have been any of those. You would not have been attracted to Jesus. And who you're attracted to are the sophisticated, or the cool, the rich, or the powerful, or any of those kind of people. Because he wasn't any of that. He was the kind of person that nobody nobody was drawn to because they were looking for the wrong kinds of things. They valued the wrong kinds of things. What do we value? What are we impressed with? Would we have
2: really recognized him? Comments and thoughts? Something that might be more applicable to this age group is who, who, what kind of a, things are we attracted to when looking for potential, made. Is it it Christ-likeness, or is it, you know, physical?
0: Other thoughts? Sure. I guess I think you were talking about how high Jesus was and still is. I need to read through these things. It reminds me a lot of the day when the Israelites asked for a king. And the Lord gave them a king, but here the Lord gave them the king of kings, and they never read the it. Sad. Other thoughts? I have a question. Um, sorry, it's clearly not anything I'm talking about. Um, but, Roger, oh, take your I yeah, on. It all the time. Uh, anyway, um, would anybody be offended
1: if I drank my Coke or soda or anything? I don't I'm sorry. I, I, That's fine, I'm just, 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 just drink it and don't announce it. And just drink it and don't announce it. I actually not offend anybody. sorry. Servant, you think about where he came from, you think about just, you know, how, how what he showed, what he offered, was just not what would impress us. And that's a good thing for us to, to just reflect on. How, how many people turned to Jesus in this day? How many people were, um, you know, keeping vigil on the cross? You know how many people were were shouting down those who were crying for his crucifixion?
2: Yeah, I was thinking, you know, they didn't believe the message because how the
0: messenger came and how he was different. And we can't do that today. We need to present the message the way it is, and people have to take it the way it is, whether they want it or not. You know, I think sometimes we try to make the message look you know, real nice, real a appealing. Jesus could have done that, but he
1: chose not to,
0: so we can do it
1: yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Jesus could have impressed us in all the ways that would impressed us if he wanted to. He didn't want to. He didn't want us to evaluate those things. He was not going to cater to our tastes. You know, it, it really, we really need to give a lot of thought and reflection to, to how are we like Jesus. Are we trying to impress the people with a world with charlotte sophistication? You know, are we trying to be cool and tough and, and, and intellectual or, or impressive or whatever? You know, if you follow the steps of Jesus, you're not trying to look good. You're trying to be godly, righteous, humble, spiritual people. Suffering.
0: Surely our to see Himself poor, and our sorrows discouraged, and we ourselves are stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was fierce through for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquity. The chastening for our well being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned His own way. But the Lord has
1: caused the iniquity of us all. all in okay. Now, you know, he was bearing our griefs and sorrows, but how did we see him? By. Yeah. So we thought what?
0: God was punishing him.
1: Yes. There's such a contrast between the true purpose of the servant suffering and what we thought the reason was why he was suffering. We thought God was upset with him and God was punishing him. When the truth was he was suffering because of our sins. He was suffering to heal us. Can you think of anybody else in the Bible whose sufferings were grossly misunderstood by his acquaintances?
2: Job.
1: Job. Doesn't this kind of remind you of Job? I mean, what did his friends think about him? Yeah. God was punishing him because he had sinned so grievously, was their final position. The truth was. He was suffering because
0: he was righteous.
1: He was so righteous. It's just the opposite. I mean, sometimes people just completely misunderstand the motive and purpose behind these kinds of things, and so the people did misunderstand that, and uh, they thought that God was upset with him. But the fact is, he was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him by his scourging, we are healed. The truth is, he was the one who was suffering, and we were the ones who had sinned. We had uh, committed with the transgressions that he was punished for. Um, you might think about um, the idea of being smitten of God and, and look back at Isaiah chapter 1, in verse 5. Because of the wickedness of God's people, he says, where will you be stricken again? As you continue in your rebellion. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head. There's nothing sound sounding. Only bruises, welts, and raw wounds. Not pressed out or bandaged. Not softened with oil. So you know they're just beaten up. Black and blue. So to speak. Well Jesus was smitten. Of God. He was beaten in our place. So that we could be healed. So that he took the punishment we deserve. Well, as he says in verse 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now, the all of us and the us all are equivalent. All of us have gone astray. The Lord put all of our iniquity, the iniquity of all of us on him. So God provided the remedy to meet our need. We should have been punished, Jesus was, so we wouldn't have to be. This is Jesus providing the atonement for anyone who's willing to turn to Him. Now that's, you know, sometimes debated among various people. But but I think the, the biblical teaching right here is the punishment that our sins deserve we will not have to undergo. Jesus underwent it. I don't know if that's the past tense of undergo or not. Jesus underwent it in our place. That—that's—that's that's the the Bible teaching. He experienced what we should experience for our sins, the horror punishment for sin. But we will not, because he did That's amazing. We thought it was because God was upset with him. Isn't that amazing? Comments and questions. John,
0: who's the specific "we" referring to as we move throughout this writing? Obviously, you can we can see it applying to us today. But was there a specific, more specific context within the writing itself? Is it referring to Israel? I don't know that I have a good answer. <laughs>
1: um, perhaps, but he certainly—I don't think of—I can think of any statement that particularly narrows it down. Who has believed
0: our message? So, was, I guess I would assume it's the same. We, and our.
1: maybe not. I'm not so sure about that one either. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's maybe it's intentionally indefinite, not a whole lot of definite I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Other comments? Yeah, great. A question. Um, I'm
0: not sure exactly how to phrase it either, but. Obviously, the tension is the holiness
2: of God, and I don't know. Maybe I, I just wrap my, wrap my mind around it. But how how does this satisfy the holiness of God for especially uh, for for someone else to suffer for other people's sins?
0: Maybe, I don't know if I understand. I didn't want to do Well.
1: I mean, I don't know if our concepts of what's right and just in that would be the same as God's. But it doesn't seem too much of a stretch to me to think in terms of. There is broken law. There is a punishment that must be exacted because the holy law of God has been violated. But that someone else could stand in for. Somebody else can take the punishment. Um, you know that, that, that apparently that satisfies God's justice. You know it's at, it, it it punishes sin by Jesus taking the sin on Himself and allowing God to punish Him in our place. Now, that may not satisfy our concepts, but it seems to have satisfied a Lord project. but in in verse four, I know it's
2: quoted in Matthew eight, seventeen. Yes, that Jesus is doing miracles and curing sickness, that's applied to pen. So can you conclude that because of that that when Jesus went out to do miracles of sickness, the reality of that was to prove that he had the power to the sense. Yes.
1: I believe he quotes this because that was sort of a physical counterpart to the spiritual truth taught. That was, you know, it's kind of like some of these other passages in Isaiah where the, the servant would open the eyes of the blind, for example. Now, you know what Jesus did? He healed some blind folks. And that certainly reminds you of those passages, but it, that's just sort of a physical taste of what Jesus really did, which was to open the eyes of the spiritually blind. So I think Jesus healing his sickness uh, is, is sort of a, a foretaste of him fully fulfilling this passage in healing spiritually. Tim? Um, one thing I like about the parable of the uh, lost sheep, because um, obviously there's the group of sheep that's still
2: with God, and they're saved, and they're safe for the one sheep that away. And we have a picture of the shepherd. Using all this effort going out to find the sheep, um, and then of course he finds it. It could just jump to, you know, him celebrating, him being happy. But it has to in the detail uh, and picks up the sheep, carries it all over the back, and um, I think that's, you know, that's exactly what he's doing here because we get lost. He does all the effort to go find us, but when he finds us, we're so unique and so helpless and so lost, and we don't have the effort, the ability, or the strength to get that. And it's just incredible that he's the one who's willing to do all the work to bring this back.
1: Yes, indeed. Yes,
0: please. Maybe just going deeper into uh, maybe where you my to go. When it says "niggles fall upon him," what exactly does that mean? I mean, Peter says, oh, I, mean, the and body and the I mean, the horse ends on his body and crosses. I mean, the guy on the as guilty of sin of our sin or was it just I guess pleased and
1: satisfied that the sin of being punished well I don't know if I can answer that I mean I would answer it in the terms of the Bible that he bore our sins, that he carried our sins Second Corinthians 5 said God made him to be sin so apparently he was punished as a guilty sinner. God, I believe, was separated from him on the cross. I think Psalm 22:1 is is an indication of that, and that that is the unspeakable horror of the punishment that our sins deserve. But I mean, I, I, I don't know to what extent should to what extent somebody carries sin. I mean, I don't know how physical that kind of a thing would be, or how to look at that other than just, that's the way the Bible
0: presents that. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, King James says uh, uh, in verse 6, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It says laid on him. It's past tense. And so, I mean, we begin to see, you know, God's plan is unfolding again, and on a larger scale, uh, Revelation 13, 8, about the land being slain before the foundation of the world, and you know, God wants to dwell with his creatures, us. He knew we were going to sin, and he already had a plan to redeem us before it all began. Certainly.
1: Sure. Sir, yeah, John, I'm saying you know, the practical thing for us is look at what Jesus did for us, and look at the amazing event of Jesus actually suffering the punishment for our sin and our place. Would you do that? Would you, I mean, why? Would you be the Holy Son of God in heaven with all the glory and comfort and everything and come down and and, and experience unspeakable life for for human beings? It's an amazing thing.
0: It's amazing that Jesus was willing to do that. I mean, you know, I, I think it would be hard to imagine.
1: That there's somebody you know, and you know he's uh, he's found guilty of cold-blooded murder. He's going to be on death row for 15 or 20 years and then be executed. But they let you stand in for him. They let you do it. Would you do that? Right now. What if it was your best friend? Would you do? Would, You'd be on death row for 15 or 20 years and then be executed. Would you do that? I mean, we wouldn't do that for our best friend, would you? that? He'd want to kill people. You didn't kill anybody. When you're crying, and they say, if you can find somebody who will take your place there, uh, you can go free and, and we'll lock him up and execute him. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't do that. And that would be nothing compared with the punishment sin deserves that Jesus would <coughs> yeah. comments. I, yeah. comment,
2: but to this. Um, <laughs> I, I think what's impressive about this prophecy is not just the fact that it's obviously true and we can look at the detail and maybe more so, but um, the idea of how <laughs> unlogical it really is, and how it, just, it cannot come from me, because it doesn't make sense. And when it was happening in front of people, it still didn't make sense. And if you it out so plainly, and people just don't get it, or don't understand it, we wouldn't think of this, and it's just that it's so theologically advanced um, from anything we've ever conceived. And I think when you compare Christianity with any other religion, that's how kind of we've talking about with the idols, is that they're empty because anything that they have to offer um, is just empty in comparison to the you know, this unbelievable story of grace and forgiveness.
0: Yeah, amen. Other uh, thoughts? John? One was what Tim was saying. Yes, uh the thing that keeps on jumping out to me is how we're, how we jump to conclusions and we have expectations for the things that we think are going to happen, and this is just proving like nobody got it. No, everybody jumped to conclusions. You know, we see a homeless man and we all automatically think well, he's a lazy guy and he doesn't want to go out and get a job. He's probably doing drugs and takes all the money and spends it on you know alcohol. But you know, we don't know. We jump to those conclusions when we see people lonely and are, or in a situation that we're not in, and we think we know everything. And uh, if we're that shallow, we're going to miss blessings that God gives us because we're just shallow. We're gonna we're not going to see those things that He's given right, That's
1: that's a good application. That's where I think that's very worth uh, reflecting on.
0: Other thoughts. <laughs> All right, seven to nine. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And after his generation, who considered that? cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to bring the stroke of the dew. His grave was a sign of wicked him. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his
1: mouth. This is so amazing. You see him leading up to execution. He was oppressed and afflicted but he didn't open his mouth. Now you think about him on the trial in the trial. He didn't speak. He didn't try to defend himself. Pilate was amazed. You know, I mean, when, when people are falsely accused, what do they do? They defend themselves. They say that's not true. You won't accuse me of that. It's not right. I'm not guilty. People are outraged. They jump up and down. Jesus was mistreated, oppressed. He was absolutely innocent of every crime ever. He never done one thing wrong in his whole entire life. They were accusing him of all manner of things and he just was silent. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Apparently, I have no experience with killing anything other than chickens, but apparently, Sheep are led to the slaughter just like that. They don't resist. You know, sheep are perhaps not the brightest animals in the world, and it appears that they don't even realize what's going on. So it's kind of passively yield. I understand that the slaughter of cattle is accompanied by great bawling and frantic efforts to escape. It's quite different. So it makes a sheep. He's just like a sheep. Just meek and mild and just allowing them to jerk him around wherever. And to do anything to his body that they wanted to do. Now the difference is, the animal's ignorant. Jesus knew everything was happening, he was willing for it to happen. And the amazing thing is, this is not the first reference to sheep in this passage, is it? We it was we who were like sheep going astray, turning to our own way. It was him that suffered like sheep for us. The the total voluntary willing nature. We talked about this earlier. Today. Jesus robbed Judas. Of these usefulness, when he just popped out right there in front of the mob of arrest mob and said, "I'm here, take me." It became rather anticlimactic when Judas came up and kissed him. He was already surrendering himself and trying to get them to handcuff him, you know, or whatever they did. You know, it's it's like he just he just he just goes along with this. It wasn't right. He didn't open his mouth. You want to be like Jesus. Suffer injustice and don't open your mouth. You know? out of the other thing that you didn't get. Or they got a privilege that you didn't get. Or or, or you got accused of something that they did and you didn't. Or whatever. You ever just said, don't say a word? Let's take it. something just as bad that we didn't get caught for. You know? It's just amazing. That's leading to the execution. The, the execution itself is verse eight by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. He was cut off out of the line of the living. Now, if you're cut off out of the line of the living, what does that mean happens to you? You die. Yes. Yes. That's what he said. It's a poetic way of saying that. But he said, they killed him. They killed him by oppression. Nobody even thought about the fact that he died for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Nobody even gave serious consideration to what it meant that he was dying for them. And then his burial, verse 9, his grave was assigned with wicked. he was with a rich man in his death because he done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Now, men determined that he was going to die with the wicked, but God, because of his purity, chose to put him in a rich man's grave. You'd have never known what that meant if you hadn't read the Gospels, and understood that a rich Joseph of Arimathea put him in his own tomb, even though he was crucified between two thieves, because because God had seen his righteousness. He, he, he starts with not opening his mouth. He ends with there was no deceit in his mouth. He was totally righteous. And therefore God said, I'm going to reverse that sentence and at least he'll have it. He's a miracle. The original But that is the steps of the suffering of this earth.
2: did now well, anything luxurious in Christ's life, I mean, you can check things the mouth but his death finally gets a little bit of a privilege to be in a nice tomb. And that was the only other thing was the fragrance that was anointed with before he So maybe the only two luxurious things he ever enjoyed in his entire life, any kind treatment that we would consider to be, you know, we just go out and do this, do that, treat ourselves on occasion, but the only two things we were seeking his life for you. Good point.
1: Jake?
0: I don't really understand how um, some people can read these especially this passage and just think that they can you know, as long as I, I don't I'm a good person, I can touch something the week, you know, dream and deal with the other thing, as long as I'm a good person I can really care for the Lord. And I even see it in my life sometimes. I'm so hesitant It's so hard for me to sacrifice one hour of my days to study the Word of God. And here's Jesus. He's like, God, it's not only so many more hours than I could ever imagine in prayer and in suffering for oh, the Lord. It seems like, and I, and I just almost catch almost myself the same thinking sometimes. It's so unfair that I've studied here. And he's like this. and It's such a great thing.
1: I'll hijack that. You, uh, some of you have uh, friends of the opposite gender with which you have a special relationship. <laughs> <laughs> now back in my day, we wrote letters occasionally. Some, depending on where you live, you might write a lot of letters. Probably not done too much today. What do you guys do to communicate? Text your girlfriend? Boyfriend? Facebook. Facebook, you guys. Chat, chat I don't know.
0: Well,
1: well can yeah. you imagine? You've got a very important, significant other in your life. Would you ever say, man, I had to spend an hour texting my girlfriend last night You're reading what you had to write? <laughs> <laughs> If so, I'd recommend uh rather rapid undoing doing that relationship. <laughs> Probably not got much future. You don't think that way when you love somebody. You want to hear from them, you care about them, and you treasure every every keystroke that they have sent you. Because it's from there. It is just amazing that we have such difficulty in loving what God has sacrificed himself to communicate to us it is so right that we give ourselves to him and his word somebody mentioned that I made the point last year and thought it was helpful that as you get older There are some responsibilities that you start having in your life that make life more challenging. You have to provide for yourself. Some of you do that now, some of you don't have to. Some of you aren't older. Um, And you sometimes then have a wife, sometimes you have children. Sometimes you have a lot of demands. The time of your life, when you have the most time and energy to give to growing spiritually is when you're young. And the thing that hurts me, I love, as you know, young people, but the thing that bugs me is how much time so many young people spend in things that have no future whatsoever. You just think about it. <laughs> When, if you can spend an hour or two a day, you know, messaging friends about nothing, seeing TV, TV programs about nothing, and playing your Wii for no purpose, or whatever, why in the world couldn't you listen to the Lord and what he's written about? This is your time. If you're still in that situation, you've got some time. For entertainment, and you've got time to discipline yourself it seems to me like that it is worth more when we sacrifice something we want to do something for the Lord if you're bored out of your mind and the only thing you've got in the room is the Bible so you'll read it because you've got to do something you're just so bored that's probably not worth as much as if you're doing something you really want to do, and you say, I am not going to keep doing this right now. God is more important and I am going to make myself right now get my Bible open and read it. That's just so much more strengthening, And uh, it, it's kind of a temptation because our entertainment today has gotten quite sophisticated. Wow. It's 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 designed to, to entrance you and to just suck you into it bodily. But in a sense, that may be our greatest opportunity to show to ourselves and to the Lord, man, I love you a whole lot more than I love this mindless triviality I'm being subjected to. So that's my subject.
0: Comments? Or other thoughts on this? on a slightly different note that we were kind of talking about earlier Jesus never he never was trying to be comfortable you know I mean think about it he was born in a manger and throughout his whole life just always everybody was against him and you know he never settled down got married it wasn't about being comfortable it was about serving others Amen followers of Jesus? David? What strikes me most in this whole passage um, is the, the appearance of being marred, being a man of sorrow, one who's despised, one who's led as a sheep to the slaughter. The, the fact that this is a me, humble, woe serving God that we serve in worship, just what he did for us, the humility and the things that he put himself through. No, this isn't, um, we talked about how he didn't come in some grand fashion, but that we're serving a holy, serving God.
1: That is an amazing thing. It's exactly right. We serve a humble, serving God. He sacrificed himself. He lowered himself to wash our feet, to cleanse our sins by his own blood. It's amazing.
0: Go back to what you said about studying your Bible. You're the oldest in your family. and say it's Sunday, you know, everybody's out, you know, just watching TV. You know, Facebook, you know, playing guitar here or whatever. And you decide, you know, I've been doing this for most of the day. I'm just going to sit down. I'm just going to study God's Word for you. Say you have younger siblings see me do that. You're also benefiting yourself from studying the Bible. You're also studying these things for them in the church. So it's pretty much it. and
1: And it's a bit challenging I suspect some of you are in families where the culture is you entertain yourself with every bit of spare time to break that mold and people are going to look at you weird at home because nobody does that you all entertain yourself all the time if you have any free time but you're exactly right, right that's an important thing just blaze the trail, so we've got to go behind the I could have said it, we're not saved to sit, but we're saved to serve. And I think so many
0: times, we come fishing around, okay, well, kind of take care of it. We kind of just, like, slow down, or whatever. But yeah, the whole, path of, that we
1: are fishing that we are here to serve, just to choose them. Hey, man. That's exactly right. You know, here's something else. You know, we've kind of worked on two or three different tracks at the moment, which is cool. Uh, I think some profitable things. and uh, But one of the things that I really like about this kind of an event, and I, I want you to really seek this and share this. I heard a little bit of this today, just overhearing some things. But uh, some of you are probably in churches, where you are, if you, you know, you hate, hate to say this, but the truth is, you're the most spiritual young person in the church. You know, maybe there's hardly there any others. Or maybe the others just are parents. I mean, some of you are in churches where you're probably the only young person who would want to be here for three days doing this. You know, the rest of them would be bored with it. Um, and, and And here's one of the dangers
0: of being in that situation, is you become complacent. If you are
1: pretty much as good as any young person you've ever seen. You know, because you actually pick up your Bible two or three times a week and read it for half an hour. And you you pray every night as you go to bed. And, you know, you don't use bad language. And, you know, you are pretty straight. You can easily think, man, I believe you're It is so awesome to be challenged in an environment like this, if you'll reach out and listen to each other enough, to start looking around and realizing, you know, there are some people in this room who are the same age you are, who care a lot more, who dedicate themselves a whole lot more, who give themselves to the Lord a whole lot more than what I do. Some of you are really inspiring to me, because I know what you do, and I, you know, Ask each other a little bit. You know, pick out some people in the group here that you can see really care. And talk to them. And say, you know, I'd like to, how much do you study? What do you do to motivate yourself? What's your life like? What's your suggestions for my spiritual growth? And things like that. And, And try to be picked up by seeing, you know, I'm not nearly as strong as I could.
0: Michael. I just noticed, I don't know, it is not kind of said that he died, but that he was cut off. And how many times do you read that? In the Old Testament, mostly, God didn't do that because somebody was so bad that they had to be cut off. Whether it was just outside the camp, or the assembly, or you cut off an impaction, uh, or, or anything like that. We've seen that a lot in Isaiah already. I was using technology. Uh, It's it's interesting that uh, at at this point in Isaiah, it's been used several times already, but after this point, it only talks about not being cut off. That that cut off weighs the next couple chapters, 55-13. This sign will not be cut off in 56. 56 uh, 5, they don't have a name that will not be cut off for others. Of that was cool, but right? because of what Jesus did, we'll see if more of that more, more of that accomplishment, but so often people and nations had to be cut off because they've shaking God so long, and here Jesus comes along and takes everything, uh, all of that, that guilt, and it's gone. And so now we have the ability to not have to be cut off and, and that that's you know, the punishment from God, not from even some other man uh, but the worst punishment again, like you already said that he suffered here was from his father not even being viewed uh, but that it was in the hand of God Interesting
1: thoughts thank you anything else? Trent
0: um, i to take a closer often what Jesus did by name because that's clearly what's important in this passage. But it's good to see the Son of God coming into this world deserving everything and demanding, he demanded nothing from the people he was around. He served like him and And yet we see us, maybe more in this country than other countries, thinking we deserve everything.
1: And seeking so little. And we see Jesus with the attitude fully seeking God because he realized as a man, he deserved nothing. And maybe that's the problem. That might give me a good segue into something else. I, some of you uh, don't like my uh, tangents, but uh, every once in a while I think they're uh, worth doing. And that, I think it's very valid. I mean, when you look at Jesus, wow! I mean, all of this voluntarily, he chose to give up. He who had everything, who had all the glory and all the majesty, all the control, all the luxury, all the comfort, and he comes to serve. He empties himself and, and, and has nothing. He doesn't have a place to lay down. And I, I just think you're so spoiled. I was impressed. I've told just a few of you this story. But it was really uh, moving to me. When I was in Brazil, there is a young man who traveled with me on one of the legs of my trip. He's been a Christian a couple of years, and a really good guy. His name is Marcelo, and he's about 24 and single. A really good fellow, and really likable guy, spiritually minded He told me about a 15-year-old boy, shall you know, who lives on his street that he started getting more and more friends with. And I'm going to combine two or three parts of this story because I've talked to Marcelo since the trip also, and I know some further things. But John Hinton basically, over the last year, has not gone to school. Um, he uh, picks up odd jobs around the neighborhood. His father died about five years ago. And his mother is an alcoholic and doesn't really contribute anything to the family. Jailton has an older sister, a year or two older, and he has a seven-year-old brother. And so Jailton's job, uh, the responsibility he's assumed, is, he takes care of them and provides for them. So he's found whatever odd jobs he could find. And uh, every once in a while, we come to Marcel and say they needed something. Marcel would give him a little bit of money so he could get whatever they needed. And talking with Marcel, I said, You know, if I were Zayotim, and I really cared about my sister and my brother, there'd be some times when it wasn't really enough, and I just, not eat so they could. He said, I know he does that. And uh, it was really interesting talking to him about some of those things. uh, Marcello told me that he had in mind to sit down with Zayotim, who's been really open to him, and, and really gotten closer to him and teach him some things about hygienic matters and uh, i suggested that he probably didn't have money for buying certain things that would be essential and he said yeah he thought about that he was waiting to save up some money so he could like take him to the store and talk to him about it and get him some you know deodorant and and uh you know uh, maybe some something to wash clothes with and things like that so detergent or whatever and uh, so I left him a little bit of money so he could do that. And, and he did. He had that conversation. Jayolton was very appreciative of being able to go to the store and actually get some of those kinds of things. And uh, he actually took Marcelo inside his house. He told Marcelo all day that he was He just opened it up one day. He said he was really worried because uh, he was really concerned. Uh, the house leaks really badly when it rains and that he wasn't sure if it would be my fault and he didn't know what he could do. Um, and so Marcelo said it was really hard when he went into the house because he, he saw, you know, what they lived in. He, Marcelo was really wise and he did not react, which is, uh, I think, very thoughtful on his part, but he said emotionally it was really hard for him because he realized even, like when it rains a lot, the, 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 you know, sewage system backs up into the house and things like that. It's just really, really bad, really, really difficult. And, uh, you know, and he, Hilton has now gotten himself a job working with a, a stonemason as just a helper to the stonemason. So he's actually going to get a very small but regular income, which I think will, will enable him to actually take care of his family in terms of food and some basic clothing and things like that, which would be really helpful to him. And uh, thankfully, ourselves, we've talked to him a lot about the Lord has brought him to church, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that that is helpful. But, you know, the thing that, that just impresses me about those things is, you know, it just, it's discouraging that we are so dependent. It's discouraging to me that we get so wrapped up yeah. in, you know, I mean, we want all this stuff. And I mean, we feel deprived if we don't have it. And, and you know, I mean, there are people in the world who, are are trying to find a way to get some money for their little brother and their older sister to eat, and uh, you know, there was a savior who left heaven and endured all
2: manner of abuse and mistreatment and deprivation to save
1: us. We just got to get off our priorities. It doesn't make any difference what kind of clothes you Doesn't make any difference what kind of toys you have. You know, it doesn't make any difference, you know, how successful you are in this life. What makes a difference is that we serve the Lord. That we serve the one who gave up all those things to serve us. When you see what he sacrificed for us, when you see how he served in our place and he took our punishment upon him, then it ought to make us just want to give ourselves to him. I mean, it shouldn't be difficult for us to want to love him. It shouldn't be like pulling teeth to get us to prioritize things in his service. Thoughts about
0: Will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will lie him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death. And was numbered with transgressors. And he himself bore the sin of many and
1: interceded for the transgressors. There are some things that would be so difficult to ever understand you saw the fulfillment. But this passage is one of them. Look at verse ten. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, put him to grief, if he would render himself a guilt offering. Now all that's fine. Is we understand that that the Lord crushed him because he was he was offering himself for our guilt. But look at this. He, the serpent, will see his offspring. He will prolong his day. (laughs) Does that make any sense in this passage? What had we just read about him? That he was cut off out of the land of the living? His grave was with a wicked man? You know, he's been slaughtered. And then suddenly, he's going to see his offspring. He's going to prolong his days. You don't die and prolong your days. So when you shorten your days, when you die, you cut off. Does that make any sense? You it does if you get resurrected. This passage, I think, has no logical explanation if there's not a resurrection. I think that's exactly what this is showing us. He sees his offspring because he's raised back up. He prolongs his days because God gives him a new life. The good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He ends up, in verse 11, providing the atonement for our sins. He provides the sacrifice. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many who will bear their iniquities. He took our punishment so that we are just. We, we are declared innocent by God because he suffered in our place. Thank God. And God then exalts him. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He becomes the victor. He he has the booty that he divides with the strong. God exalted him because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, bearing the sin of the many, interceding for the transgressors. God exalted him and gave him the victory because he poured out himself to death. Are you willing to pour out yourself for anything? He poured himself out to the point of death poured himself out, not just to physical death, but to being separated from God and bearing the punishment of our sin. That's why God exalted him. God exalts the one who served the most, who lowered himself the most, who poured himself out the most. It's an amazing passage. It's amazing sir. I mean, there's just so much to think about in that. But we need to admire The qualities of this servant, we admire pouring ourselves out to serve. We do not admire pride and self-exaltation. We admire the one who gives everything up to serve. Comments and questions? Jim. Sometimes I
2: think we praise God if we're supposed to. And um, so there's reasons behind it. We don't know if you think about the reasons, we just praise God supposed to, be, so we do whatever that means. But in Revelations 4 and 5, there's the scene of you know, God starting to in heaven. And I think three different occasions there is a song of praise for Him. And each, each song is given a reason, you know, of why they're praising God. And we're supposed to praise God. There are the reasons we're supposed to. Be. One is that He's the creator of the world. Um, the last one is, you know, worthy is. The lamb was slain. You know, the lamb was worthy to open this world and no one else was allowed. In. And there's a reason he's worthy to do that. The reason he's worthy to do that, you know, is because he was slain for us. I know, I know we already know this, but, you know, you we know, don't just praise God we're, we're supposed to. He's I mean, he more worthy of that than anything Amen. <coughs>
0: In this book so far, we have all the different chapters, we've really been um been so close to all of God's greatness and all the stories about how what great things God has done to us when he was creating because was these earth and the stars and keeping everything in motion, how great he is compared to all these nations. And yet I find in this chapter, this chapter is displaying more power than any other chapter or any other thing that we, we we've read so far. Because through, through this chapter he is, he is finding a way to get rid of our sin. He is he is putting himself down. Christ is putting himself down. He's coming down from heaven a right place where he's praised And he's glorified. And making himself like me. Like all of us here. And living a life in subjection. It blows my mind. It's, I, I can't comprehend it. I want to study more and more about it you know, every time I read this passage. I want to learn more about God's love. And this is just this is a story, is a scripture of God's love, but also about His power and His might. Amen. Amen. Yes. You know, if Jesus lived during a time where, uh, at least from a male's perspective, it would have been one of the a uh, great thing to have children to prolong your family name and to, uh, I guess, with more uh, children that you have but, like to prolong your name and it would have been something very noble, and to raise yourself good kids and all that. Yet he lived in Jesus didn't have any children. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have something that would have been thought of as something great to have. Yet we see here that because he put himself up as a guilt offering, he will see he will see his offspring. And the offspring being us, his children, uh, Christians that will serve him later on. And it's it's amazing to see that aside of this. Humility. All he wants is to see those who serve God. Other thoughts?
1: Uh, Very good. Good passage, good discussion. And uh, so let's take a break and we'll work.